0: this is space cats peace turtles the unofficial podcast for fantasy flights twilight imperium episode 57 galactic council developing skills music by ben prunty featuring matt martins and hunter donaldson The votes are in. We've tallied them up. <laughs> Guess what, everyone? We have a new senator. We did it. We we have uh we today's a Galactic Council episode, and our new counselors have been voted upon. Uh, there's a couple runoff elections still going, right. and that'll probably happen for a few more days. Yeah, I like think... in Space Florida, they can't. Yeah, decide. Space Florida is constantly doing its recounting. Which, who to
1: thunk? You know, a recount in Space Florida. You know. Yeah.
0: It's it's really a disaster out there. But after, uh,
1: after the space election of Space Two Thousand, <laughs> s- Space General Election, where we had the Space President George Space Bush versus uh, <laughs> Al, Al Space Gore, um, you know, you just think this is a podcast about Twilight Imperium and also politics.
0: <laughs> uh, we are we have a guest today, Hunter. Uh, we're joined by our friend EJ Sanders. EJ, say hi. Hello, hey EJ. Um, Yeah, we—I don't know—we just decided to add EJ to the episode. There's not really anything, any reason. Just yeah, he's not here for—he's not here to push something, you know. He's not like plugging his new game or something, you know. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I guess if you want to watch the Arkansas Razorbacks hockey, you can—you can hear EJ. I just plug that for him, despite his better. What what are they called
1: again? They have like a—they have a cool name. They're just the Razorbacks. Oh, really? I thought they were called the Ice
0: Hogs. No, sure, yeah, you can call them. Did that. I really? Did, that.
1: did I really make that up? That's
0: not even what they're called. There's a there's a team in the no. AHL called the Ice Hogs. Anyways. Uh, uh- I want to introduce the episode but then we're going to we're going to uh, cut away. We actually did the thing we said we weren't going to do, which yeah, we, is that we introduced DJ the and then nope. we're going to ignore him for about 5 minutes. No, you did uh, the thing. So you thanks, did that. Thanks DJ, we'll call you back on here in just a few minutes. Uh, you did our episode's that. This going to be a galactic council episode. Uh, the idea was proposed by our dear friend Laura. Uh, and the Galactic Council vote out. This is actually a really uh, intense election this time. Uh, there were oh. there were a lot more suggestions than we normally get, and a, a way higher volume of voting. Uh, and Laura's just barely eked it out.
1: Yeah. Um, what's What's really crazy about this this Galactic Council election is that Laura's actually did not win the popular vote, but due right. to <laughs> how we organized the Galactic College,
0: um, yeah, it won. <laughs> So uh, the episode is going to be about developing skills, specifically uh, like choosing factions with the intent to develop certain skills or more importantly, in your first games of Twilight Imperium, what factions should you play and what should you expect? Like what knowledge should you expect to gain from those factions? Right. Uh, But before that, uh, we when we recorded last week, we were about to play a game. And then we played a game with our good Yin Brotherhood. Oh yeah! And then we released the episode saying that we had played the game that we hadn't played yet. So Hunter, do you want to tell us about how that game went? Oh, it was great. Um, Matt had a yeah, horrible great. game. Great is a really interesting word that you use to describe that game. Yeah, Matt I had a different experience.
1: Right? Yeah, Matt goofed up hardcore. Um, do we want to talk about your game I first or up? my game? First off,
0: what do you want to? What'd you say? Well, do we want to talk about your game first or my game? I want to talk about my game because it doesn't take very long to talk about. All right. Yeah. Do uh, it. I was the yin, and I was excited to be the yin, uh, and I, you know, I felt like I was doing a pretty s- typical strong yin game. I didn't have, like, the most amazing first round. I've actually... I keep messing up first rounds. Like, when I get on TTS, I just start shooting from the hip, and I don't really, like, focus in on my first round, and I keep messing stuff up, like, really basic stuff. Yeah. Um. So, I had, like, an empty... A, a pretty empty home system, but with yin, I mean, it's like I wanted to expand a bunch. Like, of course I'm going to have a little bit of empty stuff in my home system. Anyways sar decided to threaten me and then sar attacked my home system and then sar threatened me with agendas and sar threatened me again later on an equidistant system and then sar threatened another system in my it just never stopped just sar got to hold can you name over yeah kraken (laughs) Kraken, uh was our kraken who who now has the nickname kraken the audacious because that's what i called him It, it was the most audacious plays i've ever seen he just was like every action of kraken's would start with um, so Matt, you want to give me your ceasefire to not attack you somewhere, anywhere, always somewhere. <laughs> uh, so yeah, I don't know. I just, I got held over a barrel. I didn't really want to make the deals cause I was yin. So a lot of the times I felt like I had a decent ability to hold on or very quickly take it back. And that was generally true. The only times I did make deals is when I could see that it wasn't going to work out in my favor. Um, But the upsetting part was that nobody else was really in a position to do anything about it. It was a five-player game. We should say that. And myself and Sar were on the most distant parts of the map. We played like a normal five-player map without trade goods. Um, We tried to, we used one of Kraken, I think it was Kraken, yeah, one of Kraken's maps that he designed that is specifically designed to not have trade goods uh -hmm. and i don't know i don't i don't think that method works as well as we had always hoped maybe it would maybe it takes a a, an even more specific map but the distances are a big deal and in this game it was a huge factor because i mean obviously there was way more distance between sar and most other players and so sar got to just get away with a lot versus the who was it necro
1: right Necro they, was, were was the, way
0: they were in the five-player position and they were sandwiched and they prob- their game went more south than mine did because he had two neighbors to constantly have to deal with. So right. Necro okay. and I had a hard, hard time. Nobody really kept Saur in check. And yeah. I uh, mean, how it, did your game go, Hunter?
1: Yeah, my game was really fun. Uh, I tried something uh, weird and it mostly paid off. Obviously, I didn't win, uh, but I felt good about it. Um, I had been thinking for a long time about playing... Um, PDS-focused Arborec, um, and I got a really good opportunity to try it. I almost didn't do it um, because, you know, like, you start with you start with Majin, and then you get Sarween, right? Um, but then just staying in yellow and red seemed like a weird choice. But I did have a yellow skip, which I ended up not using. So, like, I, I took a slice to get a yellow skip, and then I was like, well, actually, I might just go PDS, which means I kind of want Graviton. Um, but i <laughs> felt like it was really effective what was crazy is that yeah we were uh i was playing as a neighbor to um necro and And then necro's other other neighbor was extra so that's also another reason i was like oh i want to do pds because we'll just kind of sandwich him i mean like we'll we'll have so much influence over that he
0: he so quickly ran out of any viable options and it it was a it was a rough it was a rough go for him, for sure. And yeah. not of any fault of his own, too. Like, he he set up, and he was, like, ready to f- combat, but then it just, I mean, what are you supposed to do against all those PDS and stuff? Yeah.
1: I mean, I felt it, it, the way that everything played out, uh, it was kind of a perfect storm for somebody like Sar, basically. Yeah. Uh, which I do feel bad about, because it does kind of feel like, oh, I kind of played into the landscape that helped Sar win, because I played right. a very slow arborette right. game i i did yep. not try and I, I kind of just like expanded slowly but surely um and got to the point where i had my borders really secured um at one point i had both of the equidistant systems um which i felt really strongly about i think you eventually took back i think you took you you matt i think took uh took the one that was on your side but still uh it was a really fun game. Um, I think I got going a little too slowly, which is kind of the case with Arborek a lot of times, especially if they don't take Mechatol, and I was not able to get Mechatol. Um, and yeah, I think the last round, uh, I would have gotten to like... I always hate it when people bring this up, actually, but uh, I think I had like... You were going to win. I was going to win. I had like 12 points, basically, in, in the pocket, but... Uh, yeah. you weren't
0: talking like about that either like you weren't you weren't even like i wouldn't shut up about how i was gonna win if it had gotten to me but you you were ahead of me and yeah you you would have won had it not been for sar being able to claim i just couldn't do it Um, fast
1: enough that was a problem
0: yeah and and i kind of have been harping all week like on the discord about how i i felt like the extra could have done more but to the extras credit like what extra thought they were doing was getting good deals out of sar he was he you know he was wheeling and dealing with Sar, and he was in the lead most of the game. So to his, you know, from his perspective, why would he start crushing Saar when he's getting stuff out of it and scoring points and staying in the lead? So I don't actually mean to blame X-Cha, but I just know that in the games I've seen X-Cha next to Sar, which is especially on the stream where Hunter got to just threaten me for free <laughs> and ruin great. my game. So like, X-Cha is one of the few factions that can keep Saar in check in a really interesting way. And since I was getting the crap end of the deal. I really wanted X-Shaw to do something about it. Probably should have tried to pay them more, but we were very rarely neighbors. Anyways, I think that's enough about that game. We've, you know, it's it's hard to, it's hard to say much about it when I, I barely got to, do anything normal all game yeah that's true yeah you you just kind of sucked so i just fought well i just fought back from the break like i spent the entire second round attack attacking my own home system and getting it back and i spent oh, the entire yeah, third round just filling out my pie slice again like that three rounds of the game were the exact same position i ended round one
1: well i gotta so. tell you i i want to say this real quick before we move move uh on i'm getting tired of playing against you as yin i think you
0: should be bad for picking Yin. i'm tired of it yeah. So much well, in play from you. I keep wanting to play X Cha and people keep blocking my X Cha picks, so I never get to I never get to do that. But let's dive into this beginner's episode. I'm excited for this one because it feels like it's been a while since we've done an episode that's really for like completely new players. We right. do plenty of topics that are like, let's like talk about somewhat you know, more basic things thoughts but this is the first one in a while that's like straight up basically designed for brand new players so if you're if you're trying to get new people to the table this is when I suggest um, showing uh, showing people and and trying to get them into the game
1: I wish we had like a special tag for those types of episodes that I know right yeah yeah, we we need to figure out something like that
0: but I think I I, I
1: really like uh, what we've got for you today Uh, we have kind of combed through all of the factions that are available and uh, well first of all we about cut it in half as far As we're we're just going to recommend a small about half of the factions uh, for new players, it barely
0: builds off of. At one, I don't remember even what episode it was, but at one point, Hunter and I sort of put forward our idea of like what are good replacements for starting factions, like what the um, the the learn to play gives you. Uh, We wanted to swap some ideas out, Uh, so this is a bunch of those, and then adding a couple more in. So EJ, like we already said, he's been sitting here very patiently waiting to talk again. Uh, EJ's with us EJ has for a while been the only person in Northwest Arkansas with a copy of TI (laughs) so he has had a lot of experience with teaching new players that's been basically his whole past year so I'm excited to have his input on this because it's we actually got kind of um, spoiled in Portland because we had a pretty solid group where we weren't having to teach as often for sure.
2: Yeah, teaching teaching is kind of rough because it's like uh, you know, especially when it's every other game that you play. Right, uh, that's that's the kind of the annoying part of of having the only copy of Ti within two hundred miles. But uh, <laughs> uh, you know, you kind of learn uh, that you're learning to teach all the time and uh, i've kind of got it down now but uh, i would like to play more games now where i can that can play right is a
0: whole different game when everyone knows what they're doing and it's a lot more fun so let's get it to where people can can learn those things let's start talking about some factions what do you say yeah i say yeah
1: i say let's do the show
0: hunter says yeah ej yeah, we can do We're that. all in agreement. <laughs> so we had our own little Galactic Council and we have agreed to go ahead and do the episode for you all now. Uh the first one, I think the most basic factions for anyone to just dive in and start playing and not have to put up with anything really that weird. Uh and we're kind of lumping these two together is just Barony Aletnev and the L1Z1X. Yeah. They're they're both gonna get to use big ships. Uh they both have some strengths, you know, like Barony's got some command counter extra help uh l1z1x has just the ability to take stuff a little bit easier but neither abilities are very hard to understand right and they're both uh they're both solid factions too like that's a big that's a big part of it you're not going to see us recommend any factions that are bad because it's not good it's not easy to learn the game when you're playing as a bad faction
1: right and you might you might have a really hard like where we don't have like sardak or muat uh in the list or even winu um right and all of those all three of those i think for the same reasons which is that you might just have a really slow kind of experience um right. because you didn't properly manage you didn't have all of this knowledge of the game already um, but I think starting with Barony and L1 makes a lot of sense. They're both um, pretty powerful factions, uh, but they're they're like a lot of people make an argument that Sardak is a good starting faction because it ju- is
0: just focused on combat. Um, well, it's very basic too. Plus right. one two combat. Got it. I get it. Right. I don't have to think about weird bil- abilities. You're playing. Sardak is playing regular TI with a, just a minor bonus that is incredibly easy to understand. You don't have to think about anything else, right. technically. And I'm going to use that logic here, though, for these two factions, because
1: I think they're a lot stronger factions. Um, yeah, their abilities are a little more, bit more complex, but essentially, as long as you understand that, hey, this is a spaceship game, this is a science right. fiction game build fleets, build spaceships. Uh you'll be playing a pretty decent barony and L1 game. Now, I feel like the weakness of these two picks is uh tech. The there mm-hmm. is they're both like pretty tech dependent factions and you might yeah. be just getting to know the the uh the tech uh the tech system. Um but I still think even if you were kind of, you know, fudging the numbers on like what what your tech picks were if you were picking kind of in the wrong tech direction. Um, you're still even just like if you were just focusing on like, oh, I'm just going to build big fleets. You would do all right. You wouldn't have a right. horrible game, right? Right, right.
0: Yeah. I- I'm kind of curious between the two, I don't know, EJ, who would you rather give a, like a brand new player? Like if, if if it was between those two, who would you give to them first and why?
2: I, I would give Barony. Barony's the most like space risk. Mm-hmm. And so right. that... It, you know, that mindset coming into the game is a lot of what the players have. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, I mean, I've taught probably 15 people how to play. About 14 of them had that idea coming into it. Right. So, uh, Barony of Letnev uh, offers the most... Flexibility in that position where you're going to be able to build those big fleets, right. and, and move, and and you'll feel successful, right?
0: In, I like in your that idea game. too of using what they're expecting kind of against it. Like, mm-hmm. yeah, okay, so you think you're going to play Space Risk? So I'll at least give you something that lets you do some of that without right. it completely right. falling apart in your face um but you're going to along especially with barony because of like the trade good thing like oh i want to get trade goods so i can use this ability so how do i get trade goods okay i guess i gotta make some deals and you sort of introduce yourself to that aspect of the game but yeah i agree that like if you just go ahead and accept that they're gonna try to play space risk and lean into that and let them get a race that can do that well they're going to in their next game see how they might do things differently especially if space rick risk you know doesn't end up winning them the game which is more likely than not
2: well it's also about keeping them engaged right. as well which is the biggest thing so uh i mean like you know i want them to have fun is the, is kind yeah, of you want the them biggest to come part. back
0: and so if you give them barony Letna, exactly. they're going to not have a terrible time in almost every case like they're going yep. to be successful at least they're not going to be oppressed to do right
1: mm-hmm uh, I also, I, one thing I like about Barony as a as a pick for a new player is that it calls attention to fleet supply, which right. is one of the things mm. that I feel like new players struggle with the most, um, is understanding like how fleet supply works and like kind of obeying it. And it's nice yeah. that Barony Aletnev is sort of like, uh, here's this thing called fleet supply, pay attention to it, but you've got a lot of leeway with right. Barony, which actually, guinea. that also could be kind of a point against in that it has a. a, a ability that is an exception to the rule. Um, right. So maybe I would maybe even use that as an argument to kind of lean L1 because it's just their only exception to the traditional rule uh, is what? Like Harrow, which is like yeah. kind of a niche case. Uh, you might not even have any bombardment happen or, or right. be in a situation where b- bombardment is going to happen more than once. Um, and assimilating is even less likely, for, yeah, for, especially it's, it's, for new players. And and uh, and it's something that like I think a good teacher would kind of look out to remind a new player of, uh-huh. anyways. Um, so yeah, and also like factoring that into your like your stuff is kind of I think a higher level uh, strategy thing that I don't think you're going to see a lot of new players catch on to. But if an L one is just pumping out dreads, uh, then you're pretty solid. Um, yeah. Yeah, I, I, I think they're both fine picks, though. Uh, even with the Barony fleet supply thing possibly being a little bit conflu- confusing.
0: Right. Um, I mean, I- I've, I've had games, even as an experienced player, where, like, I, I tend to do this anyways, where it's like I'm playing as a faction, but then I kind of forget I'm playing as a faction and I'm just playing vanilla TI. Right. And as Barony, I can think of a specific game where I never used the fleet supply thing because I just forgot I had it. I forgot right. I was playing right. Barony. And you still have a good game. Like, you can completely forget Barony's, like, primary ability and still have a great game as Barony. That's sort of the point. I Uh, agree. So let's talk about I think what is the next like most important thing for players to learn about. Uh, and the factions that are great at helping them learn those things, which is the importance of ground forces in Ti4. Right. Uh, ground forces are like the biggest deal in the world. So our next major recommendations are primarily, obviously, the Federation of Soul. We routinely say Federation of Soul is like probably the best faction in the game, or definitely among the best. Right. Uh, and we're also gonna talk a little bit about Yin Brotherhood, but I think we need to talk about Federation of Soul the most. Because uh, ground forces, but also to kind of build off of this barony point, command counters are obviously a huge deal. Right. And also a system that new players struggle with. Uh, and it's nice that Federation
1: of Soul kind of gets an easier go uh, with command counters than than any faction uh, because they basically start with Hyper. Um, and then you're even in a good position to get Hyper themselves. Right. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I I think that's a very good reason to use them. I think like that that they're just, like, such a strong faction that the new player is probably going to have fun. Um, yeah. It would also maybe be a good way to, like, if you kind of told, a, a, you know, gave a new player a good idea of, like, what to do, um, telling a new player to take Mechatol Rex, I mean, as Soul, that could end up, like, if that new player was catching on to the game pretty well, I mean, that new player could literally win their first game. Uh, right, and then also understand how important mechatol rex is
0: as a resource in Twilight Imperium. Right, which
1: I mean, that's kind of the whole point, right? Like,
0: yeah, yeah. There's something to be said about command counters, just in terms of like, okay, Soul's gonna get one extra one, and like using command counters to learn about keeping your options open, like right. your ability to just do different actions. You know, th- there's nothing worse than being command counter starved. Uh, because then you then you just can't even do the things you need to win. But if you are if you have a surplus of command tokens, uh, then you you're gonna you, you're able to do so much more. And so if you're soul sitting on mechatol Rex, you're already gaining one extra one. If you get hyper, you're gaining two extra ones. If you have mechatol Rex, you're gaining two more. You know that's four right. extra command counters right. every single round that you're just gonna have. Which means you're going to just straight up you're gonna get more experience with the game. You're going to do more than almost any other player in the game just because you have the economy to do it with
2: right economy that's what i wanted to jump into is exactly the economics of the game are revolve around command counters and 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 around your resources that are at your disposal and so what you were saying there uh, you know, ground forces being so important in the game, uh, you, new players don't grasp that right off the bat, right? Because it's space risk; it's not ground risk, right? right. <laughs> <laughs> so, so they don't they don't grasp that right off the bat. That the Federation is sold. They see that they see that race, and I haven't had a single player uh, actually play them in their first game uh, right. that I've played in, so. Uh, you know they don't they don't have that kind of mentality towards it. But once they learn, if they learn with Fe- Federation of Soul, you're gonna learn quickly that you know getting getting two ground forces with one with uh, one command one counter command anywhere counter. you yeah, want. Yeah, like anywhere. yeah,
0: that's a it's it's hard to explain that to exactly. a new player and have them be like, oh, that's awesome. Like they they're not gonna care. <laughs> right. But to then see it in action of like I just took that planet and then the next turn I added two ground forces and now yeah. you're never getting it back. Like that can be a whole you know a huge deal for their game. Right. I, I also think there's something
1: to be said for like Federation of Souls uh, racial tech being or faction tech being uh, really easy to comprehend. Like, yes. I think when you're playing a faction for the first time and you're just getting used to Twilight Imperium, there's like you know, right? There's the abilities on the sheet, right? And that those are things that you're gonna be like, oh, I, I don't even understand how this is good. Uh-huh. And then a lot of times the faction tech on top of that is also kind of like, ugh, this is just so, so many options I have. The fact that right. Souls faction tech are literally just like, no, they're just upgrades. They're just good upgrades. Yeah. Um, that, that, that's nice. That's like one less thing you don't have to learn, one less thing that's just basically just like, nope, it's good. I get how it's good.
0: It's the same right. thing I
1: have, but better. It's really simple.
0: Everything, I, I mean, as with most games, the Soul being the humans, it's just the generic, like you're going to do everything that you thought you were going to do, and you're going to do it a little bit better. Right, right. Uh, so we need to talk about the yin then as well because the yin are kind of a special case in this but it it proves the same point to a certain extent which is, and I think yin is a little bit different now yin can do the mechatol thing but I think yin is also very good at taking any system that someone wants oh, that, that Aranam Mir system looks really, really cool I, I would like to have that and yin kind of just has this advantage of getting it and holding it all game I mean, especially if there, if it's a game of all noobs I don't think most of them are going to even realize like how much they have to bring to the table to dislodge a yin brotherhood planet sure I,
1: I honestly i kinda i kind of differ here. I kind of feel like yin Brotherhood is maybe not like i i feel a little bit different uh mostly because of devotion and i would not yep. want a oh, that's absolutely a new true. player to get caught up on devotion it's or dangerous. not understand how to do the math i would say of the of the factions we've talked about thus far this is the first like major pitfall i think we found so i mean sure. as long as you're explaining to the player like L- listen this this devotion ability it's like kind of it's a dire thing it's not like a good thing to use all the time yeah um then I think I think all of that stands to be. Um, what's what's actually what's really cool about the in the indoctrination ability is that it teaches the player to look at the the planets they have in front of them as like a, a very important resource. Like they're going to get that obviously from building, but understanding right. that like oh the all of these planets have like an assigned value to them, and I need to like flip them strategically. A lot right. that that's like kind of something that I think like, takes a little while to get the hang of. Um, right. And it's also... And, and knowing
0: what the opportunity cost of that is, too. I mean, what right. we, we should say, if we're trying to direct this episode towards newer players, we should say, indoctrination is the ability where you can spend two influence to convert an invading ground force into one of your own, or a defending ground force into one of your own. And so being able to look at a ground combat and say, it's cert- you know, I can see how two influence is obviously worth me making this basically an automatic fight, or... Right like way in my favor and seeing mm-hmm. how those ground combats can can completely change the tide of battle is a huge deal i i think that's a big lesson to learn too in seeing how like one ground force difference can make all the difference in the world and right. so in yin's case being able to turn any ground combat into a two ground force difference is just completely you know it's colossal well, right well it goes
2: back to teaching uh, new players uh Doing the most with the least, it's right. kind of thing. You know, you don't have to manage as much with with yin. You yeah. can you can kind of manage what you have, and you can you can do what you did in the game that we played, where uh, you can just build a highway to Mechatol, right. and just hang out. Yeah, and that's and that's you know that's a bold strategy. It's a strategy people can use, right right i I, I think any
0: faction that can hold mechatol easily is a good faction for someone to learn on because if you can see the value of mechatol you're you're learning a lot more about the game than a typical person trying to play space risk the idea of mechatol rex it goes against space risk like there's no there' in risk there isn't just like oh also if you take North Africa, no, you, that's the you earn points faster than everybody else like that doesn't really exist to the same scale as Mechatol Rex does in TI so I think anything that helps you take and hold Mechatol Rex is a valuable lesson to, to yeah. be had
1: I agree, I agree all right well yeah, so the next one that we have uh, that I think moves on to a very different so like everything we've covered thus far, I think the 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 gold uh, has been to get people to understand like the units basically. We we had two factions we recommended up top that were like, oh, this is about fleets. Um we want ground forces understood. Obviously next is gonna be Muat with the war sun, JK. Yeah, That's we really not... want to lo- learn. Yeah. <laughs> right. No, no, we, we we get it. But but the next thing that I think is really important for, for new players to understand is the importance of like the order of play. Um, so I think the next uh, faction we want to talk about is uh, the Nalu Collective, right. um, Because of how uh, insanely uh, cool their uh, initiative ability is, um, right? And, so and Nalu it is, starts yeah. with
0: a token that gives them zero initiative, which means they right. go first in every action phase, and also they score first in every status phase. Is is the right. other end result, and all kind of the bigger thing, but just in general, seeing what, seeing the ability of like. Getting the jump on somebody else and and what kind of power that can grant you, or the power of scoring objectives first, like what that does for you, uh, is a huge important lesson, uh, because it starts to redirect your brain into being about the objectives, as opposed to space risk, right? These first three facts four factions have been about space risk, but like you need a faction like Nalo Collective to kind of showcase like Hey, there's actually this whole other component of the game that is the most important part of the game, and you need to pay attention to it.
1: Right. Um, I also think it's really good for getting players to look at retreating as like being an important mm. aspect of the game. Um, mm-hmm. Nalu, obviously, they have a, a a better retreat, but but it's also a more sensible retreat like i think i think people mess up the retreat rules a lot and if you're nalu it's a lot harder for that to actually occur which is nice yeah uh, so i think it's right. easier for people to wrap their heads around a uh, retreat in general as an option if they kind of get like an easier
0: go at it right right you you it's a, any, every single one of these factions has been a you have easy mode at x and yeah, right. Nalu's is like you have an easy retreat, so you can understand why it's so valuable. So that when you play a faction that has a harder time at doing that, you can know when it's really worth doing and when it's not.
1: Right, right. Um, I think understanding like like the importance of uh, of initiative when it comes to scoring VPs. Uh, that's that's a really niche case that like is not immediately apparent. That I right. think with Nalu, you're going to click into a lot faster, realizing like, oh, I'm going to score first every round. Uh, right. And realizing, you know, when you get to that to that final round, that's that's also one of those like kind of passive abilities that I could see um, someone basically not really appreciating their first game and then it like right. winning them the whole game and being like, oh, wow. OK, cool. I guess, I guess that is really I was important. Zero. Yeah, <laughs> right. Uh, I I have I, noticed a pitfall though. There is a pitfall to this one, which is that uh, racial promissory note. You right. You're gonna have to you, if, if it's a first time player. It's you gotta tell them like, hey, that note is really
0: touch. serious. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, uh, and then even so, even I mean, if if we're talking about a learning game, like if you give that out, that'll be a learning moment, right? <laughs> to yeah. Be, to be sure, <laughs> you messed up. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, we we almost when we first were writing up this episode we almost included a bunch of bad factions sort of as like those learning moment things and this is the only one that really <laughs> teachable got moments, yeah, yeah these teachable <laughs> moments that's the only one that stuck got stuck in is is to, if you give that out and you're and that's why you lose you will now know why we say never ever ever never give it out
1: oh yeah oh yeah
0: i kind of i think even it's hard to explain uh how how good it is to like be able to act first in the action phase like whether or not that is good or not i mean obviously like i think a new player would be able to recognize i get to do imperial as the first action right and like claim an objective right away that's gonna be a powerful thing but i think beyond that like knowing you know having the opportunities to like jump on someone's home system or something i don't think those are going to come up as often um but on the flip side of that uh we have also included the asaral tribes uh because sort of that that kind of gets at the other idea that we wanted to talk about with timing which is asaral tribes has this whole stall ability and i mean in ti3 it was a much bigger deal and that was a really teachable uh idea was like why <laughs> it's important to stall a lot and a, and the newest are tribes it's not as common but to to spend an action card to stall i mean if uh, for a new player to look at that ability they would be like why would i ever do that like why is spending an action to get rid of a card from my hand right. why is that at all good and and getting their head wrapped around like why you want to wait things out until you can do your timing attack like why is that important i think without it's a big consequence. Lesson. Yeah, exactly. Lear- learning like what it means to attack without consequence uh is a is a huge factor in learning how to pl- how to win with most factions. Like the the most common way to win is I'm acting last. I did the thing. You can't stop me and now I'm going to win.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I also think it kind of plays into uh understanding the command counter economy again. Like it isarl playing isarls is when you start looking at other people's sheets you know and yeah, like that's, that's a true. big moment like when you start realizing like oh a lot of this information is just out in the open and i can just look over and see like oh so and so only has two more actions
0: that's it right that's all they've right.
1: got after that they're done and i can do whatever i want basically
0: yeah and and honestly mageon implants kind of the same story uh or is it, i may have just said that wrong their their God, ability we mess their, it up all the time i know we mess it up all the time and i don't have it up in front of me but they're they're uh faction technology that allows them to look at another player's hand and steal a card from them is a huge deal because i mean you're just gonna straight up have an advantage nobody else has which is seeing other people's hands and knowing how to play against it and action cards are a whole other level of the game that uh experienced players just have the checklist in their head right okay i know that one sabotage has been played and i know there's a few more and -hmm. i know i need to look out for signal jamming and i need to look out for you know public disgrace but Isaurl gets to actively look at someone else's hand, see the scary action cards that they might be up against and go, oh, I need to figure out how I'm going to play against that action card. I mean, that's, that's a huge ability for a new player. Yeah, very true. And also, like, just the fact that they're
1: getting more action cards means that they're getting a lot exposed to a lot more of that information as far as, like, what action cards are available Uh, That's another thing that like early on you don't you don't know all of the action cards in the deck you unless you've literally gone through and read them all and like understand the game already which then why are you here but getting that exposure is good and also there's kind of a lot of wiggle room with it you know you're going to get a lot of action cards so it's okay if like you burn a couple doing like kind of the wrong thing you're probably still going to have a pretty healthy. Um, hand at the end also I think you get a lot of really good feedback from other players because I I can't tell you how many times I've seen somebody uh or a newer player discard an action card and Mm -hmm. everyone see it and be like whoa um Huh? (laughs) You sure? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And and just kind of calling that out. um, I think that is, well, it's like kind of, it's maybe not everybody's favorite way to learn anything to just be called out for messing up. But still, you're learn. like, even if like, let's say you read a card and you're like, oh, I don't really know what, why this is so relevant. And then you discard it and everybody's like, whoa, shouldn't have done that. Then now you know that you need to look back into that card.
0: Right yeah i I think the other kind of factor that we're I see anytime we recommend a to new players I see this uh complaint come up and I think it's valid, which is that that problem of if you're you're gonna end up with too many action cards and maybe you'll get overwhelmed right but personally I think you you gain action cards slowly enough and it's it's not like you have to know the entire deck of action cards from the you you only need to know what's in your hand right. Um, so you're gaining a few at a time and you can judge them on their merits. And, and I I feel like most new players can pretty much grasp like what they need to do with those action cards. Now I will say being able, if you've got a hand of 15 action cards, being able to remember to use all of those action cards, especially when most of them are going to be reactionary things, that's incredibly difficult and, and sort of a flaw in using the SRL tribes because I don't think that's a teachable thing. I think that's a like you just have to play a few games before you start to understand the timing windows and when to like pay attention to your action cards.
1: Yeah. And I like, I think one thing I don't like about you for new players is like the disc, the, the like draw more and then discard one, because that's basically saying like, you need to already know which one is the bad one basically in your hand. Um, so yeah, like kind of like what I was saying before with like, oh, you discard a card and everybody's like, oh, that was really good. Why did you discard that? Like, it's a lot of pressure on the player to have to then like kind of already understand how these things measure up. Um, but like outside of that, like it's, I think like kind of our part of our perspective is about what factions are going to teach you certain styles of player or like what what is important aspects of the strategy of the game. Um, and I think Isarl like kind of is better, like kind of is the only one that does the, the thing that they do. Right. Yeah. So like, yeah, you, I think, I think everybody needs to play Isarl at some point. They are not like, they're not a weird, like niche case faction, even if they are not super easy to play and can be overwhelming, give you a, a overwhelming amount of information in the form of all those action cards. Um, I think everybody learns about uh timing from from Isarl, basically. That's when you learn like, cause it's so much easier when you're playing Isarl to look over at your neighbor and be like, oh wow, I can stall that person out. And like then once you learn that, you can take that type of tactic to like any game and realize that like, oh, like I could play as any faction and stall someone out. But I feel like you're only really going to learn that type of play from Isarl just because they're just so adept at it.
2: Well, I think it's also about decision-making though. And I think that's the, f- this is the, one of the first times we'll see uh, a race really rely on those decision-making tactics that, and that's just intangible. That's intangible in right. TIs. You have to make those decisions at some point. Uh, and whether they're good or bad, like you're saying, even though they're consequential in a lot of cases, whenever you're playing with a, a race like Isarl, uh it, it's actually kind of a good thing that they have to make those decisions on the spot. Like uh, you mentioned earlier, you have to draw multiple action cards and discard one. You make that decision on the spot, and somebody you know notes that and says something to you. Uh, you've learned something that's actually even more valuable that's in true. that moment. That's right.
0: True. You didn't even have to play the action card exactly. to realize like why it's good or whatever like you, you you gain that information through other people yeah correct uh, for sure and and i, and I think honestly too to, to go back to one of the other points of just talking about like things that are easier for factions like we want you to play easier factions if you get transparisteel plating where you can do actions after other people have passed and they can't spend action cards on you you're you, that's that's great for you like you're gonna get stuff done that nobody else gets to get done now that that's like a little bit higher level of thinking but it, it it serves that same point of i i'm gonna be able to get away with stuff that nobody else can get away with and so then i can learn better like what sorts of it's almost like what you were saying hunter like you're you're the things you're doing as a sorrel, no one else is doing but other factions are going to learn from that like you know a, a yin or a ghosts can do last minute plays that stretch them over the the finish line to to win right. A sorrel does that you know tenfold they do that way better than anybody else so yeah you find those weird plays the biggest thing is like just learning the combos you get to figure out those action card combos and you you get to do them without being interrupted by other players so you can really see how they would play out and then over time you get introduced the, the the foils in your plan and you and you learn from each foil.
1: Yeah. Yeah to actually I mean the more and more we talk about it the more and more I feel like Isarl is a great place to start. With uh, Twilight Imperium, even if it might be a little bit more difficult than some of these others, I think you're going to you're going to have a lot of fun with the game really quickly. Oh, playing,
0: yeah. I think that's the biggest factor, honestly, yeah. is like the fun factor with Sorrel Tribes is through the roof. <laughs> right, right. Infinite. Let's let's talk another faction that is kind of information overload. But because they get the easy end of so many things, I, I think the universities of a Jolnar are a a huge faction to play. And and this is another one I see people recommend against because, oh, now you need to sit there and you need to learn what every single tech does. But my argument is always, because you basically have access to every single tech... You don't. Like, you're going to get so much tech throughout the game that just get whatever you want. You read a tech, you read fleet logistics, you go, that looks cool. Get it. I I, I do not care. It's your first game. Like, I'm not going to critique any of your tech picks as the universities of Jolnar. You're going to get whatever you want, and all of it is going to make you better. Every tech is going to make you better, unless you buy... Majin defense grid and i'll suggest you don't do that but, but even, if the you do, even, even if only thing even if you do, do it's like you have a pass you, right. you can get away with it you because you, you're you're gonna get enough tech outside of that
1: god that reminds me i so wanted to use Majin in my uh arborette game that was like my fantasy <laughs> that was for like that your that thing. To was, yeah, yeah i'm you sorry said it at the but, beginning
0: of the game you said if I, if i use magen as my last play of the game i win
1: yeah <laughs> that's true uh, but yeah, no, Joel Nar, you have a lot of wiggle room, like, the, and and that's always good for a new player, for it to just basically be like, listen, like you could make some mistakes and it wouldn't be huge. The thing that I get afraid of with Jolnar is that Jolnar is one of those factions that like other like more experienced players will have a very specific way of playing against early game, yeah, and having a new player in that position, uh, it gets kind of weird. It's a little bit strange. Like I could see yes. people playing lighter on Jolnar, which could end up biting them in the butt if the if that player f- actually figures out, you know, how a lot of the tech works, and yeah. then by the end of the game is like actually a you know a powerhouse or something. Um, but the other thing is that like you know you you really don't want to like take advantage of a new i don't know i i feel two two ways about it because a lot of people play really aggressive against jolnar early game and that that's like what they say that's what they lean on it's like oh you got to be aggressive with them because they have to be neutralized early and that negative one i mean it really hurts you when it comes to ground combat like and i think it could maybe in like an inverted way teach you the kind of soul yin brotherhood lessons Of basically just being like, wow, I got, I, I totally got screwed because of, yeah, like because not of having enough ground, ground forces. Are. Yeah, yeah, right. Like, and, right. And realizing I agree with how that. important that is.
0: I, I would say the flip side of of your argument is. I agree. If if the only new player in the game gets universities, it's actually kind of a scary position for them. But what's you know what's more common is you've got a group of new players, oh, for sure. and in that for situation, sure. universities are an amazing pick because nobody's gonna be that aggressive, and that means universities are gonna have plenty of time to build right. up.
1: I agree. Yeah, I, agree. I was
2: gonna say that universities. Uh, the biggest uh, thing is for them is, and what worries about what worries me about them getting picked uh, first is actually somebody winning the game. And not really earning it. That's, yeah. Not even that's... knowing why they won it. Like, just because <laughs> the objective, te- the, the tech objective. Uh, comes In out balance, yeah. and
0: yeah they just they just win kind of by nature of passively getting tech
2: which is fun for them but at the same time it's not going to teach them a whole lot if right. they just if they oh i just tech the entire game and i won i don't right. know what i you're really never going to be
0: able to recreate that to the same effect as what you did with Joel NAR. Exactly. it's it's not the same thing as israel tribes where like you can use the lessons with other factions like with every other faction you're not going to get as much tech so the tech objectives are going to be more difficult Right. And yeah, I agree. You're not really learning the right lesson if it's a very tech objective heavy game.
2: But mm-hmm. but you can learn the tech objective or you yeah. can learn the text. If you play Jolnar 4 times and just tank each color, you right. can you can probably figure out <laughs> Most of what you want to do in the future, so right. there's that. There is some future building there, but uh, maybe not so much in terms of like uh, how do I, you know, how do I overcome obstacles? Yeah, uh, it's not really what Joel Nard does. They don't have a whole lot of obstacles. Right, but
0: if anything, too, it's it's recognizing that you have a weakness. I mean, every new player can see that. They go minus one to combat. That sucks. I need to find a way out of combat at every level, and so you you're gonna learn some deal-making skills, especially with that. This is the opposite argument as the Nalu Collective too, right? You have like the best promissory note in the game and you have a reason to try to sell it to people uh, because you're going to want protection. And so I think a Jolnar player is going to probably learn a lot about making deals to keep from getting attacked because they're going to be terrified of getting attacked because they know they're worse at it. They know that they're not on the right end of any battle. So they're going to do whatever they can to get out of fights. And I think that's a valuable lesson.
1: I like that point because other players are going to make that happen. Like yeah, exactly. Like you, yeah. <laughs> you, you said it almost like, oh, well, you'll just figure that out on your own. No, what's gonna happen is people are gonna be like, hey, can I get that racial promissory note? Um, I'll help you. Like, or some you know what I mean? <laughs> right, like, right. I could totally see like, I mean, I would do that if I was
0: You're playing right. in a. People are gonna come new- to you with offers. Also, you having four commodities. Like, people are right. gonna want to do deals with you. If there's any other four commodity factions at the table, it's like, uh, I would rather deal with Jolnar and do a four for four then deal with anybody else or whatever like you're going to get more offers on the table than anybody else and that that's what's going to open up that that end of the game to you
1: yeah that that makes a lot of sense Uh, in fact I think that's like kind of our first example of a faction that will kind of get you playing a little table talk um, yeah and actually kind of getting off the off the board Um, right
0: another good faction for that is the extra kingdom yeah uh, the extra kingdom kind of gets to ins- again for commodities uh I wouldn't say their their promissory note is as amazing but just the ability that they have like the fact that people come to the table and are like hey this agenda is gonna really suck for me I will pay you to quash it right like if you to, to be able to sit in that opportunity and just have people come to you begging for your services is like a really nice special little perk you get when you play as extra yeah and it's, yeah it's another situation <laughs> it's like- where where uh, players are
1: going to like create those opportunities for you to learn because they know that you can
0: do this thing and they might need you to do that thing. Right. Right. Exactly. Uh, I I think you're going to get a lot of deal making. Also, it's just known that they're the peace turtles. And so you people, that's, what's funny about it to me with extra is I actually am now starting to shift my thinking and think that extra need to be very aggressive to be effective. Uh, And that comes from, Playing them like a beginner would, which is so often people want to play them as the peace turtles and they want to just negotiate. But the, the problem with extra is uh, one of the things you learn is extra is how to set up a good PDS network and how to just defend yourself. But you don't necessarily you, you don't really learn how to take objectives and score them. And so so often a new player plays as extra and ends with four points. And they're right. kind of like, I don't know what else I was supposed to do. I did like what, what it seemed like my faction was good at. So that's, I think a big pitfall of extra, but I think the skills you're learning, I don't feel like anybody plays extra and doesn't learn a lot about TI, despite maybe falling really far behind in points. I still think they learn a lot about the game itself.
1: Yeah. And I, I think like, I would be really surprised to see a new player play extra for the first time and, and win. um, Really, at all, just because, like, yeah, like you said, it's it's hard, it's hard for an experienced player to even like set up all of the VPs necessary, yep. while also building like a PDS network and playing. You know, generally kind of slower than other factions. Um, yeah, I'm actually kind of on the fence as to whether extra is a good uh, uh, first pick for a new player, but I do agree that you are going to learn a little more about, like, you know negotiation and table right. talk and stuff and it also it just feels good it feel like generally speaking when i try a strategy game for the first time i generally kind of gravitate towards the defensive right faction
0: like because so it just it least, feels you're gonna have good. a more comfortable game yeah yeah,
1: yeah. it feels like well if i'm defensive then i'm probably gonna have a, a, a little more uh room to like mess up a bit um and you know it's always intimidating when you're playing a strategy game for the first time to like be aggressive or like strike out or like make plays basically an extra you know you you can make plays without putting yourself at risk uh if you have that flagship in a PDS network like right. and that GRB always feels really right. good yeah and yeah. that's it it's always feels really safe to have uh to have that kind of setup
0: yeah. I mean it's no mistake that they're like the eighth faction we've brought up. We're, we don't highly recommend them as a first <laughs> faction, but they are, you know, they're they're a decent enough. Uh and and that goes especially true for our last faction we're going to talk about which is the Space Cats. We talked about the Peace Turtles, it's time to talk about the Space Cats. Yeah. It's funny because Hakan and Extra are both in the learn to play rulebook as like a first faction you should play as, but they're both I mean they're they're hard harder to play, but There's certainly no doubt that if you play a Hakan, you're really gonna learn deal making. Right? I mean, more than there's no there's no way you're not. It is ingrained in the abilities that you're gonna learn how to strike up deals with other people.
1: Yeah, they're going to bring it out of you, you know. Right. And and the well, other thing, thing too.
0: Yeah. You're going to do your first trade and you're for, if you're a new player, you're probably just going to be like, "I want everyone to to refresh <laughs> their commodities." Yeah, probably. And you're going to like give two to two you, like you're going I feel like within your first game, you do three rounds of trade and you start to realize, "Oh, I can I can really use these six commodities against people." Like I think people within one game learn how much more strict they can get with trade if they're playing as Hakan. Because they they learn what they can and can't do a lot better.
1: Yeah, and it also it's it's like the same story with extra and like what we're saying with Jolnar. The other players are going to bring it out of you because Hakan, yes. there's so much to to gain from being their trade buddy that the other players are basically going to bring you into the conversation without you having to do anything you know like if if you're like a two commodity faction or like some of these other factions we've talked about um you kind of have to like make your own way in the world when it comes to trade uh and hakan that is not the case i I mean everyone's gonna be like so what are you doing with those with those six you got there well
0: and and even more so and this is a little bit of a sorrel tribes thing too you can trade action cards and everyone's just going to be like, I don't know what action cards do you have? What Do you have any action cards yeah. you can give me as right, part of this right. deal? Or I have action cards. Can I give you this? And can I give you this? So you're you're just going to learn a little bit more about like every component of the game than everyone. Because everyone's going to be offering you those components that everyone wants to just get right. in on your side to be able to make a lot of money off of you.
1: Yeah, and I think that actually might be the the reason that we're that they're the last one that we're going to talk about today is just that there's a lot of, you have to understand a lot of economies of the game to really play Hakan that well. And that there is uh there's a lot to consider when people are making deals with you or proposing deals with you. And considering it's probably a first timer that we're talking about, you're probably not necessarily going to know whether it's a good deal or not. I mean, how would you really, you know, like I think, with commodity trading, it can be pretty obvious what a good or bad deal is. But with action cards, no way. There's no way that you're gonna really know for sure what's a good price for a card or what card, you know, what card makes sense to trade. You know, it's that. In that way, I think Hakon could potentially be overwhelming for new players. But you do have a lot of wiggle room with all those things because you're you get the most basically.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I, 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 think, I think we hit a lot of good points all on that. I think we started with, if you're listening to us as, as literally a brand new player, someone has shown you this podcast, I think the biggest thing is to make your pecking order the list that we just gave you in order, right? Yeah. So, Barony Letnev, L1Z1X Net, Federation of Soul, maybe, maybe insert you Brotherhood somewhere else, but then definitely Nalu Collective, Isaral Tribes, Universities of Jolnar, X-Chuck Kingdom, Emirates of Hakan. that's like your list of factions you want to get in that order right and also like in the end um, I think we we put
1: this out in a way that made sense to us uh, as a list but it also just has to do with like who you are as a player mm-hmm. um, like what EJ was saying earlier like a lot of people come at this like looking at it like space risk and if you're a space risk player you should probably play a space risk faction <laughs> right <laughs> yeah, if, you're, if yeah. you're more of like a social uh, social gamer then like Emirates of Hakan might be a good pick for you. Um,
2: yeah, it's almost like you have to reverse the order. If yeah, you're gonna exactly. Be that yeah, way. If, right. if
0: you're coming at this from that social yes. side, yeah, go in the exact opposite way exactly. I said. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I think
1: all of that makes sense, and 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 it's great that that one of the great things about learning Twilight Imperium is that the factions are so specifically tied to certain um, mechanics of the game. Yeah. So I mean, yeah. like, yeah, I mean, you, obviously, you go to Jolnar for your tech, um, and then what? I mean. What's weird is kind of uh, the factions that we've left out. They—it's not like you don't learn things by playing those factions. It's just that the lessons that they teach you are
0: more specific to that faction, right? Right, right. Every, you're going to learn everything with every faction. We are just trying to point out the factions where you you're learning a little bit extra, right? In a certain in a certain vein, right? Or
2: learning bro- more broadly. Actually, you're yeah. learning in a you're not learning in yeah. one niche. You're learning the whole game right. and also owning that skill right
1: right well well it's cool and i uh, i hope you know <laughs> i hope you know stuff now little 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 boy or girl uh, and we we took you to school once again maybe that's what we can tag uh these episodes school. as <laughs> school the school episodes everybody sit down i think we actually we've we definitely done that bit before we um, have
0: people hated it <laughs> yeah be, yeah people really school did bit. hate that bit um
1: <laughs> But yeah, I'm. De- uh, do you want to go to? Do you want to go to Arada? I to do. I, out- I will say
0: this much: if you're a brand new player, uh, again, if this if this episode got shared to you as a brand new player, uh, we're about to go to Arada, which is where we talk about stuff we talked about last week, and we get uh, listener responses. So, if you're a brand new player and this is your first time listening to Space Cats, you might not get much out of the rest of the Arada because we're going to talk about some really specific stuff. We're going to jump over to the Arada, and we're going to talk about the tournament drafting method that we are coming up with. Right. Also, if you're a new
1: player, join the, Yen, the Good Yin Brotherhood and then play against <laughs> we'll us play and we'll, we'll clown on you. We will just <laughs> wreck your shop, you new player. We won't be nice to you at all. And we'll make you play Sardak. <laughs> yeah you're gonna play sardak and you're gonna like it and we're and that's because i you know what i want to end with saying that the good Yid brotherhood is really good at the game thus far and i was really hoping they would all suck like
2: <laughs> that's what I, was,
1: I was hoping that it to be like oh, wins. We'll, we'll play with some fans and then they just don't know how to play and they're not good and then we get to just like you know just like troll them but man it was uh it was the it was opposite a rough, experience. Yeah, it was the opposite <laughs> of that.
0: It was people who sh- it was a player that showed up being like, "I want to ruin Matt's day." I paid yeah. him twenty five dollars to ruin six <laughs> hours of his life. That's a g- <laughs> See, that's a good deal. I think that's what it should. Uh, be, that's actually. a good deal. We're gonna have a new
1: Patreon level that's just like ruin us, just ruin <laughs> our Ru- lives. <laughs> you pay we- seventy
0: five dollars to break my plumbing. <laughs>
1: yeah, and you could come over and step on my foot. <laughs>
0: All right, let's do the errata now.
1: Hey, welcome to errata time. Uh, this isn't really like, uh, we didn't really like make mistakes. Although, uh, okay, actually, I want to open with this. Um, it felt like there were a lot of people that like felt really strongly about our drafting method that we talked about um, from last week. And I just want to reiterate at the top, all of this is like work in Work in progress. uh, Not for this tournament, but like it will probably be what we've what we have proposed for the actual tournament. I don't see that really changing, right? Um, right. I think the episode was us kind of saying like, "So here's what we got," Um, but like all of this is an experiment. The entire thing is an experiment, Um, and so what that means is that there there's not already like a layout of how exactly to do this. Um, There are a lot of things that we're trying to address that maybe some of it maybe doesn't even need to be addressed but we are trying to um yes and also always remember that like
0: Everybody plays this game very differently, wildly differently. That's, that is the biggest factor to me is uh, w- we are trying to approach this from a standpoint of, I don't know, trying to appeal to, I guess, like as many people as we can. And I mean that even for more than just the people playing. I mean, we want these games to appeal to people to watch. Right. We want people to watch them and to be able to get good entertainment out of them. So that's what we're designing the rules around. So there's going to be plenty of times where like I agree that like the game is more fun to play if we set it up a different way right that's not what we're trying to set up we're not trying to set up a game that is especially fun to play we're trying to set up a game that has competitive value and it's really fun to watch right or at least talk about and and hear about um so yeah let's let's start with this first one from ronald sf on uh twilight imperium subreddit and they said we have lifted the idea from shattered ascension of everyone getting their two secret objectives dealt to them before any faction banning selecting starts this gives players another strategic consideration when considering what to do during the setup then after thing everything has been set up the last step is to discard one of the secret objectives Ooh. this is an interesting idea that's something we haven't even really talked about we kind of just left the objectives things are like well once we finished all the normal drafting then we'll do the objectives the way you're supposed to do it. But this is, I don't know if I want to do this for this tournament, but I am very interested in this idea of, like, I have two secret objectives in front of me, and I'm going to pick a faction that works for one of those. I'm going to make sure to draft a faction that works for one of those.
1: I like i like it, too, Is just another, another variable. Um, I really yeah. like variables that don't feel, like, super... Um, shifty like that like that's why right. I, I think we're both like not into the the speaker token being uh, right.
0: a part of that whole phase we'll talk about that more too there's a lot of errata about the speaker token right, but right. yes it's it's so much more shifty but just like what your first secret objective is that's not like the most de- deterministic thing within the game and it's also not change your entire standing in the game to have like a different secret objective first
1: I, I like it as something that might influence what you're doing but obviously you're not you're just not guaranteed to get the faction that you want like that that right. that, that will never really happen exactly. um, but the you idea that make a
0: finite decision based on that it's just going to help inform your decision making process
1: right i i like it um uh i don't think that we'll at this point i don't think we'll do it because we like i said we've kind of set that in stone but that might be something interesting to try Um, and just see there's a few things
0: in this there's a few things in this errata they're gonna be things that we definitely want to try for later and we're gonna kind of keep in the in the think tank yeah um i got one i'll I'll read
1: it uh next one is from brian uh on via discord um each player uh he's just pointing out the percentage chances of certain uh draws so each player has a little bit over two percent chance to draw both jolnar and soul in the same hand of three um that's when we're talking about at the very beginning, you're dealt three factions and you choose one to ban. Um, player F, uh, the player that only gets two factions to, to, ban, to choose to ban from, uh, has a 0.7% chance of drawing both Jolnar and Sol.
0: Now, why is Brian bringing this up? I, I just think it's just fun math, but it also helps prove the point of... Uh, it's 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 probably very common that Joel and, Jolnar and Soul are are not even going to make it to the pooling step because right. it's pretty low odds that one person is going to get both of them in their hands and that and honestly I think Hunter and I like early on accepted that about this this method yeah is that like it's sort of design it has this random element up first to sort of really weed out the like really hard. Ones that like the the way too strong and the way too weak factions. It is designed to sort of eliminate them. And we accept that that is part of what happens. Um, we've gotten some weird errata uh, from people saying things like um, that they think part of the game, like part of the point of TI is about getting uh, different factions and, and like having to deal with what you're given or whatever, which first off isn't is is and isn't true i mean the rule book just says pick factions um so the idea that like we should make situations where like muat is definitely in the pool I- i'm super not into that idea because that's going to completely i mean that that will be the reason that player doesn't win that game is because right. they got stuck with muat against a soul and a jolnar player that's a disaster
2: uh, i have a question uh just based on last week's episode i, I was wondering who you ban in in the case of getting Jolnar and Soul in your hand, just Good question, Hunter. If we, if
0: we had Jolnar and Soul, who would well, we ban? What's my third? No, if you're the player, if you're player it's, F, it's gonna be oh, one of those. So I'm player F. The other one's Jolnar. Muat. Yeah, yeah the, the other one's Muat. Jolnar or Soul?
1: <laughs> um, I would rather ban Soul, uh, because I I I just I don't want to have to deal with that. Um, you don't want to put up and all Jolnar. Those Jolnar might
0: be neutralized it right. kind of goes the objective the, the tech objectives might not that's that was my argument too we talked about this earlier but yeah that if the tech objectives don't come out jolnar is kind of just like any other faction mm-hmm. um it, they're, they're only ridiculously good when they score a bunch of tech objectives and win without even thinking right. um but in, a, in any other game you know they they have to play just as hard as everybody else to, well and to they also
1: success. i mean they might they might have a really rough early game which could i mean that that could just
0: ruin it you know yeah, yeah. Well, let's, let's talk about some speaker token stuff. Uh, Aviator said, would someone elaborate on the issue of granting too much power, par- paraphrasing, uh, by having speaker token in the pool of selectable things? Yeah. And Zendog also said, step one of the entire rule set is determine speaker, and step two is choose factions. It seems like too much to mess with. Uh, For me personally, it takes a few factions right out of the game as I can't risk the random speaker die putting them too far down the list after I've committed to playing them. I I know most people think Arborek in this case. Arborek is put way more out of the running if you can't guarantee you're going to be high in speaker order. Right. Um, I'm not saying put speaker in as a choice when drafting races and seats. I'm just saying randomly determine the speaker somewhere near the front of the process, then go ahead as described. That way you can use the knowledge of who the speaker was going to be when selecting your faction. So, let's. Th- this is a lot of topics at once. Um, the first being... The reason we don't want speaker token as part of the drafting process, which is what a lot of people do, which is my choice can either be picking a faction, picking a position or taking the speaker token. We tried that and we don't like it because the, the first person going almost has no incentive to do that. They would never take speaker token. So you're kind of guaranteed. It's going to be like third or fourth pick usually. Um, and then everybody just picks factions based on where the speaker is, which is a valid, smart way to play, and it is good decision-making, and this is what Zendog is kind of getting at, is saying, why not randomly determine the speaker and then do your faction and position? But because position is inherently tied to faction selection in our method, we have to exclude speaker. If we later come up with a method that lets you pick factions and then later pick positions and it's something balanced that we like, I would consider putting speaker up front. Uh, If if you pick your position and then you pick speaker token and then you pick your faction or whatever, I think that's fine. I think picking a faction based on when you're going to get your thing is great. But I just I really hate when people pick their pie slices purely based on the first round. I want our players to pick a pie slice based on the merits of that pie slice and what is in it. Yeah. What tech specialties? What what influence versus r- resources ratio does that have? Those are the de- types of decisions Hunter and I want to commentate on more than anything. Because right. it's boring to just have the speaker come out and go, okay, well, they picked that spot because they want to go second in speaker order. That's it. That's the only reason they picked that spot and nothing else matters.
1: Yeah. And I I, I think we, we just played too many games where that seemed to just be the only factor
0: was just like, right. where am I going to be in speaker order? Right. Um, It's smart decision-making, but it's not fun decision-making. And I agree that it cuts some factions out, and I'm not disputing that idea. But the flip side of that is being able to pick uh, S.A.R. based on speaker order is super annoying. I mean, if S.A.R. gets to... Get sar and also get speaker and know that they're going to get warfare. Like that's just the grossest thing in the world. Yeah. I would rather sar have to pick sar and live with the consequence of maybe picking fourth or fifth in speaker order and not getting warfare. I I, I would much rather that scenario than oh I guess we're not going to see as many arborex as we would have seen. Right, and also
1: I think I th- I think we also just like the idea uh, of kind of being a gambler uh, in yeah. the system. So like picking arborex. And just being like, I'm just gonna see where Speaker lies. And maybe it's me, maybe it isn't. Uh the odds are not good, uh, basically in general, but uh that's the type of thing that would be really exciting to see. It, it, it's always really exciting to see people um take big risks. And with speaker token in play, it always just seems like there there's too much known. Like there's right. You, you right. everyone is a lot more predictable. Um, And there's, I think, just less to talk about because it's like, well, that player is going to go third, I guess, that one right there.
0: Yeah. And and again, to the the idea of, like, we are incentivizing other factions over others, that is inherent in any drafting method. Right. Like, you cannot avoid having priority in and and we do not want a tournament where it's randomized we already talked about it. like we don't want a tournament that just forces someone to play winu because that's not a fair tournament at all right if we want to have a fair tournament we have to shake things up we need to have this drafting method which means better factions are going to get picked more often and we've tried to design it where it's not just so like we we did we did the coverage of the gen con game And I know a lot of you haven't seen like that footage yet, but it was like the same five factions in like every single game. And a Uh, Muat. Yeah, and then one (laughs) Muat. But the point is, we expect to have that same problem in ours. We just wanted to be a different set of five factions. We wanted to shake it up so that we weren't seeing exactly the same factions in every single game. We think this method, yes, there will be factions that are in a lot of games, but it won't be the exact same factions that were at Gen Con. Also, Um, it gives people something to win. Like if
1: if we see someone like get soul somehow, it'll be like they won the lottery and that'll be like, wow, they 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 got that. They were able to play the system correctly and they, they won
0: yeah exactly they, they didn't just luck into getting soul they had to it, you know they had to get soul into the final pool and then they had to go first and pick soul and be right. stuck with whatever pie slice was left to them right like they had right. to make that commitment but from if, the if, get-go
1: if uh if it's all even that might be that might be just fine like if, if it's a good balanced map then i could see someone being like you know what i'm going with it and then yeah and then that's absolutely. a cool moment i like that
0: yeah yeah uh so this next one uh is from kraken who we played with, and now I hate him, and he's my biggest (laughs) enemy. Uh, No, no, Kraken's great, and he said, this is based on the game we played. We played a five-player game, and we tried to use this method, and we ran into some problems. So (laughs) uh, let's say it's a tournament game, and it only has five players. Uh, which is absolutely going to happen, by the way. In this tournament, there will be five-player games, guaranteed. Uh, We we cannot make the math work out in such a way that doesn't have five-player games. So how does the pregame draft work with five players? Uh, Hunter, I've been bouncing this idea around in my head for a while, trying to figure out what the best method is. And and my first idea was just, let's pretend that there was a player that didn't do it and and that we we immediately get rid of three factions from the get-go. Right. But that always felt... A little weird i don't know if you agree uh and i don't know i don't know ej what what your thoughts would be on just straight up banning three factions and like a should everybody know what those three factions are or should it be revealed once we reveal you know the first initial nominations but it, it just felt weird to me to have like uh, we designed this whole drafting method so that we the players would be selecting all these factions so then to have just this sort of like unanimous like or not not unanimous this sort of like autonomous thing happened where like oh three things are also thrown out like in in our game that we played we uh through in one step of the process we just randomly threw another faction into the mix um and it it just didn't feel right to me i didn't like the idea that like we designed this whole drafting method for us to pick everything so i want to compare the idea of just getting rid of three factions to this idea and it's a little bit more complex so hear me out um you've got five players and similar to the other method, uh, you're, you're going to have player a through e player a, B and C each have a hand of four and they ban one player. D has a hand of three and bans one and player E has a hand of two and bans one, right? So we still have banned five factions and now we have a, uh, we have nominations available to us out of 12 factions. Um, immediately after we've revealed the 12 factions player d who had one less than the norm but one more than player e they get to ban one faction from the remaining list to put mm-hmm. us back at 11 uh then and, and i should say we'll get into this after but th- this is not actually specifically the sequence of event like this isn't the order i'll i'll explain this point better later but after d bans one E does the same thing as before, selects two factions to throw into the pool, and then D selects one, and then C, B, and A all select one. So you end up with six factions, one more than how many players you have. We end up with the same selection process during the snake draft. Um, So I'm curious if that, that second ban... So technically, player D gets to ban one extra faction out of it besides everybody else. But they do it... With I don't know is it too, is it more information or is it less info like yeah I'm kind of curious how you feel that plays out yeah because and if that's better than just banning three factions randomly
1: yeah the fact that D's getting to look at the whole picture and then ban one that's right. that feels pretty big but also E's like the select two is pretty big as well so yeah. I th- I feel like it balances out I don't know we would have to try it we
2: need to try it is there a way that we could make D draw five from the remaining 12 or do Mm. something like that because I I don't
0: like before you reveal
2: 12 they draw another hand they draw another smaller hand or a bigger hand or whatever Maybe I kind of, th-
0: that's sort of where I'm at right now is I want to put this out to the community and get some more ideas. Cause, cause we actually hadn't really thought clearly enough about how to change this up with five players. And I'm a little bit curious where people stand. This is my current offer and I want to hear everyone's opinions and notes. The one thing that I should make very, very clear that it has gotten very muddied, uh, between this method and even the standard six method is we keep referring to like player F and player E, uh, The let me let me try to word this correctly. Your assignment for how many things you draw is not tied to the order in which you do things. So the way we should say that we actually do this, let's let's get back into the six player draft method. Uh, The first thing Hunter and I will do is give everyone their factions. We will deal five people, three factions and one player, two factions. Then we will roll dice and we will put them in a sequence so the person who has two factions in their hand will not necessarily always ban theirs last or whatever right but it is a snake draft of i mean technically the first half doesn't matter but everyone bans one and then you reverse order to uh nominate factions which is actually uh on our discord um Lexi, uh, Lexi gave us the term nominate for adding a faction to the potential pick, which is way better than select. Right. So you have a ban, you have a nominate, and then you have a pick. Um, so in terms of n- nominating, that happens in an order, and that means player F is as, as I stupidly called them. They are not in the same position in that order every single time. Somewhat sometimes you're going to pick or you're going to nominate two factions third in the order. Sometimes you're going to nominate two factions sixth in the order. It purely depends on your dice roll. It, that that is not set in stone, and I, I don't think we made that especially clear in the last episode. So hopefully that clears that up and then with this five player thing, that's even more specific since now we have two people with different sized hands that have to do things in different orders. Those will happen at different timings depending on what you rolled. Yeah. Oofa doofa. Um this next errata is from Gaznik and it says, I agree, uh it causes a lot of problems if you are more likely to advance in a five-player game on top of the difference of the balance between the players. It's hard to find a way that people would see it as fair. I'm curious, Hunter, how you feel about there being five-player games in this tournament. Um, and in some cases, within a round where there are other people that are playing six-player games. Like, it is almost a guaranteed chance that in the preliminary round, about half the games are going to be six-player games and half are going to be five-player games.
1: Yeah. Um. I, f- yeah, I mean, it, it's true. You you are you are gonna be statistically more likely to advance uh, in a five player game. Um, I think. I, I it's just it it's unavoidable. I mean, it's the nature I, of the
0: beast. Yeah. Yeah. The,
1: I I I don't know. Is there's just not really a way around of it. I I originally suggested having like dummy players, like players that would fill it out, um, and not be playing for keeps but the potential then for someone to like go through but not actually win uh yeah, is it's kind of messy. a bummer yeah um but i mean w- what uh we are using the
0: warp zone correct right for five so the player goal, the the i i would say my number one our, our number one solution to that is that we are going to be making maps that are as balanced as we can make them so our five player games really the only difference in them is that One less strategy card is getting picked. Uh, And also, like, if people start doing crazy support for the throne trades, like, yeah, in a six player game, everyone can do a one for one swap with somebody. And in a five player game that gets messed up, I would say those are the two key differences between a six player and a five player game in our tournament, because the maps should be the same sort of balance and the same access to stuff.
1: Right. Right. Yeah, I mean, I, th- I think there's kind of a give and take of like, yeah, it's more likely for you uh, as an individual to be the winner just statistically. Um, but also, yeah, it, there are some it's more difficult, I think, in some ways because of the of that one less uh, strategy card being picked. So I like, don't know. You,
0: you, have, you have a weirder game that you're going to have to play through. So yeah. uh, I'm sorry that it's, it's bound to happen. But I mean, uh, I guess I'm just sorry that we didn't get 208 or 216 contestants. If we had if we had, had 216, it would have been a perfect math uh, tournament. But, you know, that <laughs> a perfect w- math. perfect. It would have been a perfect math. Uh, Hunter, give me the,
1: that next errata. Um, so this one is from uh, Mosar. Um, during the first phase, where each player bans a faction, what parts of that are hidden versus public? Um, so when you when you ban, that's hidden. That you're 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 banning you're banning from your hand. And Which your is hand why the order doesn't
0: hidden. actually matter because you're you are yeah. Not you at not that revealing, part. No, it doesn't. We're not revealing any of the bans like as you go. Right. We thought about it, but I, I I don't think we we liked it. We would rather you just take one out of your hand, put it somewhere else face down. And then once all 11 are selected, we reveal. So right. that part is the only part of the entire process that is secret. Every single thing else is public. Right. Yeah. Yeah. That. That's, that's basically it. Yeah. Uh. And, and that's it. We had one more question from Kraken, uh, but I already kind of answered it in, in his previous errata, which was just about like, what, what is the ordering? And so it, it is again, that point of, Your your hand pick is not tied to your order in the process. Right. Um, And so I just want to make sure that's very, very clear. Um, So I'll quit referring to them as player A through F, I guess. I don't know what to call them. Yeah, don't do that anymore. You naughty boy. Honor, we did it again. We did a long episode. Uh, We Uh, always do long episodes these days. So do you Whoops. want to give us the rundown so we can read a really awesome play of the week and yeah. get out of here? Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, you can
1: hit us up on Tweetar uh, for game updates and announcements. Um, we've got a Facebook, Space Cats Peace Turtles. It's, what do you know? It's the same name. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and there's announcements, and you can uh, text Matt uh,
0: in the morning or at night or wherever. <laughs> If you're, you know, it's st- funny actually, Hunter. You now have a job where you're up all night. So theoretically, you could answer those questions in the middle of the night. Uh-oh. You could answer our European players' oh, questions. Oh no! So everyone, Hunter is now on late night. Oh, duty. Oh, that's a Oh, dang. Yeah, I, I I will be up all
1: night. So Scandinavian players, uh, hit me up. You know, let me know what's going on. Um, check out uh, the Twilight Imperium subreddit. We post there weekly. Um, it's always a good place for a discussion. And if you want to get that you know those tasty tasty erratas in you know we messed up you hate us or whatever or you love us you know not that we would read that one we would we just read the hate here um board game geek guild check that out you know discussion there with robo fish and uh robo calendar so you can see what's going on with robo fish like where you know where he's gonna be uh, i need to give him permission to his own separate calendar yeah on the bgg guild. yeah it would be funny if Robofish used it just for like regular like go to the grocery store and like <laughs> <laughs> laundry stuff like that um You can uh, send us an email. uh, If you have a This Imperium Life submission or a play of the week, please send that to spacecatspeaceturtles at gmail.com. Patreon, check it out. Um, At this point, the tournament signups are done. So, actually, Uh, yeah.
0: As of this morning, uh, if you're listening to this episode on Tuesday when it releases, uh, we're done. Like the patron is done, signed up. People have been given the link and are now signed up. Uh, so that I, I already have it broken down. Uh, next week, I think we'll go over in more detail like what the structure of the tournament is going to look like. But I have the general idea of it already typed up and kind of in an Excel spreadsheet somewhere. So uh, I'll, I'll say this much. Uh, double elimination has a little bit of play in it. Um, For sure. Yeah, there, there will be some double, double elimination. Not very much, but very limited. Uh, the whole tournament is going to be about I think it's like 25 games. Well, that's how long our tournament. Wow. Will be. Uh, which if we are doing only one or two per weekend, I mean, this is this is a long this will be a long process and we have to schedule all of it. So there's a lot more work to be done on this tournament. But uh, we're we're just now really getting to where we can start actually getting things on the books. I'm so excited about it. Um Check out our Discord for fun
1: conversations uh and Patreon benefits. Uh it's also a very good place to get errata in now. We've really been focusing on that more. Uh I really like uh all the discussion being like separated by episode is super great. Um please rate us on your podcast app of choice, especially Apple Podcasts slash iTunes or just wherever. Um Also, uh, you know, what's something funny, uh, by the time you listen to this, uh, I will have already done it. Uh, but tonight I'm actually going to be on a podcast festival in Portland, uh, doing, uh, comedy (laughs) and, and and don't worry, uh, I'm not doing this show, uh, (laughs) because that wouldn't really make sense at all. Uh, but, uh, but you know what? I'll, I will shout out. I will be like, Hey, I actually have a podcast, um, but it would have no place here. Um, what you, you know, someday we should, we, we should do a live episode we of, will. of space. Well, Cats we'll Resettles. do
0: someday we'll do. I, I can't wait till we can do live shows at nerd stuff. Yeah. Like, we want to yeah. do a live show at Gen Con. That's a goal. That we'll would say be super that out loud. Cool. That would be yeah. great.
1: Um, but yeah, I'm also a stand up comedian. Uh, you can see me every Thursday in Portland, uh, co-hosting earthquake hurricane, uh, at Ford food and drink that starts at eight. Uh, on November 18th, I will be at a show called Sincerity is Gross. Uh, that happens at the slide in and that starts at eight o'clock. Um, November 23rd, I will be doing a show called Looney Bin uh, at 8 p.m. Uh, at Kelly's Olympium, which is like a cool biker bar. Um, and then on November 31st, uh, I'm doing a show with Don't Tell Comedy, Um which is actually a secret location style show, uh, like a pop-up show, very cool uh type show comes uh comes to us from uh Los Angeles and that show I believe will start at 8 but you would have to message me via um you know either via the Facebook or you can direct message me via uh Discord and I will let you know the secret location Matt do you want to thank those Patreons? Those Patreons? I want to thank some
0: patrons. Uh I want to thank our Space Kitties. We got a lot now, Hunter. We're doing great with Space Kitties. I want to thank Jim Jimbov. I want to thank Jada Paik. I want to thank Dustin Doom. I want to thank Nathan Swenson. And I want to thank the return of In Mac We Trust. Whoa. He's back, baby. Mac is back, the map maker. Uh, I also want to thank Michelle Maynard, Nikolai Rigao, Rigo, uh, I don't know, and William. Yeah. And we've got a play of the week, and since uh, we haven't let EJ talk very much, we've got a really long play of the week that we're going to have EJ read for you. This play of the week is brought to you by Jensen, uh, also known as Chills on Hills Jensen or Dies on Hills Jensen in the Discord. <laughs> depending uh, on his so, mood. Depending on his mood. <laughs> uh,
2: so, EJ, give us that Jensen play of the week. All right, Jensen says, I'm Ghost. I helped Sol get Minister of War in exchange for a ceasefire. Soul has Shard of the Throne. Round 4 began. I was at 5 points, Sol and Sardak were at 4, and Arborek at 3. Whispering to Sardak and Arborek separately, I convinced them to attack Sol. Sardak would send his main fleet at Mekataw, Arborek would come up from behind him to distract his fleets, and I would take the home system. I told both of them the other agreed to a joint attack, so they both accepted the deal. Sardak rushed Mechital and it, with a scary feat, fleet of exo-triremes, but Sol's advanced fighters held him off, destroying Sardak's main fleet. Arborek, who had warfare, took the equidistant system they shared with the Sol and agreed to time warfare out for me. My first action was to play repeal law on the Minister of War. I let Sol know of, of my intentions around early, Baiting out his signal jamming, a card he had almost used in the past. I offered the Sardak my support to sabotage the card, which he agreed to. Then I attacked the soul home system (laughs) and took it with no casualties. (laughs) Jord was mine, as was the shard of the throne. Then came the moment of truth. Soul turned his main fleet, what was left of it at least, after my scheming with Arborek and Sardak, to attack my small one. I had the Sol Ceasefire, but I had plans for it. I passed on playing it and faced his ships. Thanks to some freaky rolling and duranium on my flagship in dread, I won the fight, leaving me with just my flagship. Arborek flipped warfare, and I built a war sound on my home system. All of my plans came to fruition when I offered Sol a trade, his ceasefire for his support for the throne. I was in his home system, after all. He couldn't take it back and would have no chance to win as long as I had his ceasefire and his home. Besides, I argued, if I have your support, I will not be attacking you again. You will be safe. The desperate soul agreed to the trade, moving me to seven. The game was won. I had finished with the four PDS secret in my, in my hand, the two-unit upgrade public objective, and to top it off, turned their fleets to dust. I poker-faced the activation of a wormhole containing a single cruiser and fired three PDS, two shots that would win me the game on round four. I rolled a one. A one. And a two. All misses. When I scored my two objectives in the status phase and went to nine, the table finally began the coalition that should have formed round two when I scored four points. They plotted how to stop me, but to no avail. My home system was protected by gum. Had a war sun... And a PDS and seven infantry on it. Sardak had my support for the throne. Arborek was slow and on the other side of the galaxy, and Sol had just been demolished. All I had to do was activate Quan and fire PDS at a cruiser there to score my 10th point. I blew the cruiser out of the sky on my first turn. The game ended turn one, round five. Wow. So- scene <laughs> yeah uh just the, the,
0: i mean this is here's what drives me crazy jensen likes to talk about his games in a discord <laughs> he gets in there and he tells us about this was his 12th out of 13 wins as ghost his 12th win out of 13 games as ghost he's only lost once wow. um But I hate hearing about Jensen games because I hear the things that players let him get away with. And I'm like, if he played with Hunter and I, we wouldn't even give him an inch. Yeah, Matt (laughs) Matt would probably yell, call all of those things out, basically. Yeah, I would just be screaming at everyone about all the things they're letting Jensen get away with all game. Uh, Yeah, I've even heard people uh, before Jensen sent us this. I was hearing people talk about this game and all I ever heard people refer to this game as is, Oh, you're talking about the game where you convinced everyone to gut soul, even though you were winning. <laughs> God, what? a if- I I, uh, yeah, that would be so irritating as the soul player. Like, why are you all letting him do this? He's in the lead, and you're letting him take my shard of the throne. It's such a sad trade,
1: too, that like you can have your ceasefire back as long as you give me support. Give me for the yeah, that's so <laughs> sad. That's the.
0: I mean, honestly, that's the play of the week to me. That's why I yeah. wanted to put this in there, is because that's a delicious moment of like, yeah, 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 yeah. I'll give you your ceasefire back, but you're giving me your point. So wow, yeah, you know, take your pick. Yeah, great, great play, Jensen. Uh, that you know, he he's got plenty of ghost plays in his belt. So I think it was finally, you know, up to us to to showcase one of them.
1: Yeah, that yeah, that's a good one. I yeah, I, I love just the God. I would be so I would be so upset to have been soul and even, I don't even think I would have taken that. I, I wouldn't have even taken that deal. I would have <laughs> yeah, been like, just, no way, no, 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 just
0: gut me. Screw no, <laughs> yeah, I'm gonna
1: fall on this sword. I'm not gonna help you. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I would have been so upset just at the audacity of that offer. <laughs> I would have been so salty, so salty and mean about it. Yeah. Which I'm trying to be better about. By the way, I'm trying to lower my salt intake <laughs> and quit. Connor being... got called out on the YouTube, recently <laughs> yeah,
0: for, yeah for like the, for a game where he was very salty.
1: I just read, like, you know, you guys, re- <laughs> if you listen every week, you remember the episode. Like, I don't. It was like a month or two back. And I was just like, I was mean to a guy and it sucks. And now there's just like this record of it. But, <laughs> but the thing is, like, that all happened. And like, I think the people that really keep up with us, like, they all saw that. But like, people still watch that, that video. Like, yeah. a new person just watched that and was just like, wow, Hunter's a jerk. <laughs> and like, really hit me hard. And I read, you know, like, I stay up all night now for my new job. So like, I read that at like at five o'clock in the morning, I'm like tired. I'm like, you know, feeling, you know, I'm just up by myself, like feeling yeah. kind of lonely. And I just read somebody being like, God, Hunter's jerky pants. What a little dookie boy. <laughs> and, you know, and I agree. I was a dookie boy. And now it's just there forever. <laughs> just completely enshrined me being a jerk.
2: Screw you, screw you. I think that's Matt. a
0: wonderful note to leave this podcast yeah. on. Yeah.
1: <laughs> screw screw you, screw everybody. Goodbye, um, everyone. Hunter's I'm, a dookie, boy. I'm a, I'm a naughty boy, pyon pyon, and I'm like shooting my gun off in the air. I'll <laughs> naughty boy forever, I guess. <laughs> I'm gonna right. I'm, I'm gonna it. show my therapist that video. <laughs> <laughs> hey, uh, so you know how I do all that stuff with
0: cardboard and plastic? Here's something I did. Uh, what is this? You have mean? to watch all six <laughs> hours to understand. <laughs> yeah. Thank you for listening to Space Cats Peace Turtles, and thanks to Ben Prunty for the use of his music. You can find more at benpruntymusic.com and benprunty.bandcamp.com. Pax Magnifica, Bellum Gloriosum.